Hello and welcome to the England Athletics podcast. My name's Alex Sefdal. After a great outdoor season, it's that time where we reflect on the year so far. In the coming months, we'll hear some stories from athletes who did well. In this episode, delighted to be joined by two senior members of England Athletics, Chair Gary Shaughnessy and CEO Chris Jones. Gary, let's start with you then. Your thoughts on the year to date, of course, which has included a brilliant World Athletics Championships in Budapest. It's been a really busy summer. What's really notable for me is just the spread and the variety of competition, the quality of the competition that we've seen, and and also just the number of different events going on right the way across the country. And uh, some of which I've I've managed to take part in, some of which I've managed to spectate, and and some of which um, I've just picked up reports. I think the off-road activities have been incredible and continue to grow on track and field. We're seeing a, a real growth in the numbers at the younger age groups, which is, is great news. Still a challenge for us in terms of the slightly older age groups and, and you know, the 15 to 17 year olds. And that's still something we've got to work on, and as, as well as field events, maybe in comparison to the actual track events. We've just seen the World Championships and what a you know incredible performance by the Great Britain team. One of the things that really came through to me was just the joy of that, but also the link to athletes at a local level. So from my point of view, down the road is Basingstoke Athletic Club and there's Ben Patterson doing the 800 metres, doing incredibly well at, at a situation that, you know, I think a lot of people didn't expect him to get a medal and he, he did extremely well, but he also did it with a smile on his face. And seeing that in the Olympics, I think, would be a wonderful thing for us to continue to do. You know, we've got a, a multi-billion pound sport globally, but hopefully it's a sport that is also incredibly relevant to, you know, eight, nine, ten-year-olds, in, 11-year-olds in schools locally. And that's we've got to make sure we keep building that, make, make it a positive, fun experience as opposed to something that becomes too focused on the commercial aspects. So Chris Jones, at the World Athletics Championships, Britain equaled its best ever tally of 10 from 1993 this year. We think of that from a, a grassroots perspective as well. How can that inspiration and success be filtered down towards the next generation that's coming through England Athletics Pathways as well? Yeah, wonderful English performances at the World Championships and, of course, the World Paras as well and the European Under-20s and, of course, Commonwealth Youth Games with a record medal haul there. I think 24 medals at the Commonwealth Youth Games was was a high since 2004. And it is inspirational because the majority of those athletes have come through the English talent pathway, whether that be through competing at National England Championships, English schools, club competitions or open meets. Of course, now we've got the youth, junior and senior talent programme in England. And that uh, pathway is there to develop the next generation. Building on the comment on Ben there, of course, he performed so well for us in the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham in 2022 and came through a lot of the junior pathways of reference before. So there's lived proof of how important those experiences are at the different junctures on your way to world-class performance, if you like, Alex. Our job, of course, is to support those athletes, nurture those athletes and provide a world-class environment for them to develop, but also to support their personal coaches and support the clubs 
that they're members of to make sure that their experience in those club environments is is always a good one. So yeah, overall, I think a very positive summer. And people will have seen more and more athletes selected to represent England. Lots of teams taken, particularly across Europe, in the main, including some events in the UK, just supporting all disciplines across track and field and running. And that's really pleasing to see, Gary. It's all ages, including masters, including para-athletes, lots of different abilities, which is clearly something that is a target. It is. And the one downer on that is the reality of, of the cost of providing those facilities and, and opportunities and the cost of, of running those teams. And that's something that I think is a theme that's running throughout is, you know, we've had uh, inflation around lots of costs across the sport, inflation for people taking part in the sport as well. And we've got to make sure that we have a sustainable organisation in terms of England athletics to support that. We've got a sustainable income base, which is one of the reasons we're looking at both the, the club fees and membership fees and making sure that that's something that is continues to be exceptional value for money relative to other sports, but also uh, can make sure that we can fund the, um, uh, the facilities, the opportunities that we want to. Rising costs are affecting everyone. Just building on Gary's comments there on, on our own membership and athlete registration fees, you know, we have some really detailed discussions uh, at board level and with our England Council through consultation to, to set those fee, fee levels every September and, uh, you know, we try and balance need with proportionality, taking into effect, you know, what we need to deliver and support the sport on an ongoing basis, generating funds to invest in important areas such as coaching officials, development, facilities, investment, maintenance and development, actually, uh, recognising that, you know, we need to look after ourselves, if you like, as a sport and identify revenue streams to protect and preserve our sport and strengthen our sport and evolve our sport and not always be reliant on third-party grant aid, you know, through bodies like Sport England and other sponsors because the sponsorship market is very challenging at this time. So, but we are very, very mindful of the challenges that clubs are facing at a local level, hence why we believe we're always proportionate. I mean, the guidance that we're often given through our members is on fees to increase them little and often and I think that's consistently what we've what we've worked to do of course safeguarding and keeping people safe which arguably many would agree is the number one requisite we have as governing bodies those costs have gone up and we need to make sure those costs are sustainable but at the same time make sure that the model for managing safeguarding is sustainable as well so we're working with the other home countries in UK in that regard uh, with 2024 in mind looking at uh, how those structures should evolve to make sure we're working efficiently and I think rising insurance costs over the last year, our insurance costs have sadly gone northwards as well. And, you know, if you look at fees such as our club and member body affiliation fee, that's gone nowhere since 2018. Some would say, well, that's been an error on our part, for not increasing that gradually. Difficult balance to strike, but I think there's absolutely a concerted effort within England athletics to make sure we continue to consult in that regard, but also to make sure that we're proportionate in in managing those changes but we're very cognizant of the fact that the rising cost of living prices is affecting everyone and we try and support our member clubs wherever we possibly can through our member services team and also through our club support team facility and planning manager and so on and so forth to overcome those challenges 
Gary, any thoughts from you on priorities? Moving on from the financial point that, that you and Chris have made, we regularly talk about providing great competition, providing a plan and structure around coaching and, and an athlete pathway too. those kind of three tiers, if you like, priorities there too. Yeah, I think the coaching and officials changes that have taken place and, and continue to take place through to the start of October is a really important change because it brings so much more of the uh, control of the the courses that we run and the and the way of involving people in the sport on a, on an ongoing basis closer to the clubs and, and closer to the locality in which in which people uh, live and work. Um, I think that's a big move positively. And it's something we've done with UK Athletics support and help over the last period of time. And I think it will hopefully make a big difference. It's been a challenge getting quality of officials and the number of officials that's needed with the um, increased level of competition across the the UK, but in England particularly, has been a, a real challenge. And I think we're now set in a better way to get that right. I also wanted to pick up on Chris's point about consultation, because one of the things that I think is really crucial is that we continue to consult, to get views of people across the sport, but also to work with the regional councils and the national council to make sure that we're doing the things that really matter to the people who are actually in the sport rather than taking a view from, uh, if you like, an ivory tower and just implementing things. So I think the consultation earlier on this year got some really interesting responses and got, got lots of people talking, but there needs to be more of that. And I'd really encourage people to air their views and make sure we understand what's important to you. And what are the main central mediums by which you can be consulted? Well, we had, we had the consultation itself, which gave people the opportunity to give us on, online feedback. The um, regional councils give people the best opportunity because they're linked to the clubs. And the, I think that route through from the clubs to the regional councils through to national council is really important. And of course, uh, Matthew has taken over as chair of the National Council earlier on this year, and I think... Matthew Dalton. Correct, yeah. That's working very well, that connection with the, with the board, and long may it continue. So looking ahead to next year, it's it's an Olympic year, and that always heightens people's attention towards athletics. Chris, what can we kind of look forward to? Yeah, we're entering, if you like, our most active developmental period if you like you know the kind of autumn winter season where we run the majority of our coach officials education run leader education talent pathway support and programs that kind of you know off summer preparation work uh, of course we're about to enter the road and cross-country season so action-packed calendar of fixtures there of course calendar planning for summer 2024 that's a vitally important process because that brings together all the domestic competition providers and we kind of plot out the 2024 season if you like inevitably there will be some congestion in the calendar inevitably there'll be a need for some concession uh, between partners and uh, we need to block out that calendar in a in a logical way for the respective clubs and athletes that compete in those specific competitions to give them the best chance of success england athletics of course leads that process of course i must pay tribute to the volunteers the majority of which run our domestic competitions in this country there's only a small percentage of competitions that England athletics actually owns and delivers itself we have to work with and through others so it's a monumental effort and of course creating change in terms of competition format and evolving that experience for athletes takes a leap of faith 
and we're assured and buoyed really by the attitudes that have been displayed this year by a number of competition providers leaving no stone unturned to make sure that their competitions are continuing to reflect the needs of athletes at all different levels because they recognize that the sport and society has changed certainly from where we were in 2020 with the impacts of the pandemic and arguably some of the challenges that Gary's referenced around teenage dropouts have been there for a number of years and we really need to grab that as a sport and own that as a sport and work through partnership to address it so the autumn winter months are always exciting and then of course we're into the indoor season back end of this year start of next and then back into the uh, spring outdoor season so and the thing for me with 2024 with the olympic and paralympic games is lots of people talk about legacy and impact from major events but certainly those infrastructures through clubs and through community organizations and schools and competition providers they're well set up to receive the interest and harness the interest that Olympic and Paralympic Games can create. I think we need world-class performers inspiring the next generation, but it's fruitless if you haven't got that infrastructure and system in place at a local level to harness that interest. And we do need to do more work around growing the breadth and depth of volunteering in our sport. We do need to think about evolving our competition offer at all levels. And in some cases, easing the burden off volunteers, not requiring as many officials, perhaps, at events. And that requires a rethink in terms of format and length of time of program and geography and all those kind of things. So we're only going to achieve all of that through working in partnership, of course. You mentioned the Commonwealth Games. You mentioned infrastructure. There has been some concerns raised, it's fair to say, about the Alexander Stadium not being used as much as people would like or perhaps as people would expect given that it is a new stadium there's also been some concerns locally around birmingham city council bit of a shame that we haven't had more athletics competition put on there it is a shame albeit of course we must always think about the geographical access issues when you're putting on national championships with england being a pretty big country of course birmingham central to the country close to motorways and and railway stations and airports and what have you. So uh, it would make sense for that facility to be used on a regular basis. We also must think about the broader experience, particularly for age group events. It's inspirational to have under 15, 17 champs and English schools at Birmingham one year after the Commonwealth Games. But I guess for other events, you know, the cost probably doesn't match the kind of size of the event itself. So other facilities might be better suited for specific activities You know, of course, UK Athletics are part of this equation as well. uh, And they'll have interests, of course, with the European champs taking place in 2026. So I think it's going to take a collective effort between ourselves, UKA, Birmingham City Council and Birchfield Harriers, of course, the anchor club at the stadium to make sure that we've got the right plan in place for Alexander Stadium. Of course, we don't own the site. Birmingham City Council do. But for me, there needs to be more of a focus on filling the stadium not just for competitions but also perry park and the ancillary facilities first and foremost inspiring people enticing people in to use the facility 24 7 if you like and and then the worry about the kind of income and the commercial aspects later i think they'll kind of take care of themselves for me if you look at a comparable model look at manchester and the legacy they've delivered from 2002 you know, fantastic multi-sport, multi-purpose site. Of course, they get the additional investment from the Etihad, but there's a real joined up 
commitment and partnership there towards multi-sport provision. A lot of the governing bodies are based there and uh, a lot of the community are able to access the site as well. So I think we probably need a little bit of a rethink uh, is is my assessment, but we can't do that without partnership. Yeah, there was also a, a late change of venue for, for one of the competitions this year, the under-20s and under-23s. And at the time, there was a concern around availability of certain venues the hope i guess would be that that wouldn't continue in the future in terms of concern around readiness of venues and how many potential venues are available hopefully that's something that was just a a blip on that particular occasion yeah i mean we went to Chelmsford, didn't we and Chelmsford at melbourne park there was good good to be there um fantastic support from the facility staff there refreshed track uh it was fantastic uh, surface for the athletes to compete on good atmosphere i guess one of the criticisms with champs would would be for a national championships it's in east anglia and and for people in the north it's more challenging to access and i come back to this point though around spreading the competitions and making sure that the you know maybe on a rotational basis people have uh, from across the country have access of course bedford we were unable to use this year i think there are some ongoing facility issues there hopefully that's going to be refurbed having had some contact with the local club who are working with the, the council in that regard there are other good facilities across the country derby moorway stoke at uh, northwood uh, that have previously hosted national events I think we just need to continue to review the facilities that we need, the facilities we use. And of course, cost is central to this. We already mentioned rising costs and make sure we're not pricing people out of the market. We need to be realistic in terms of higher charges for not just EA events, but also important events like English schools that are run purely by volunteers and also um, open meets and 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 league competition i mean speaking to some people involved in as team managers uh, in in some national league competitions and what have you the costs now to hire facilities but also to transport teams you know quite long distances with hotel costs and other expenses incurred is extortionate really extortionate so we need to rethink not just facility pricing but we need to rethink you know competition planning and the geography required for people to access events as well, because we're living in very austere and different times. Can I just give you a positive around that, though? And I think um, one of the great things about this sport is it, the ability to reuse and make make things work in different areas. So didn't the, I think, Chris, I'm right in saying the throws cage got used from Birmingham, has, has been reused? Yeah, very much so. Down in Croydon, Croydon, we're Croydon Harriers, home of Lawrence Okoye and some other wonderful age group and senior athletes. Uh, of course, Donna Fraser hailing for that club uh, a couple of months back where we opened that. That will be true legacy in, in physical presence, if you like, being used by developing athletes inspired by the achievements of Lawrence and other athletes in Commonwealth Games Birmingham 2022. Another positive Gary, I'll come to you on this as a, an experienced road runner. We have the first World Athletics Road Running Championships in, in Riga in Latvia, a new international opportunity. Is this the moment, Gary, where perhaps we draw more attention to what is sometimes um, a part of our sport not seen as much on TV, let's say, compared to track action? And perhaps this inspires... Yeah, potentially as well, a, another revenue stream through road running at, at lower levels and, and generally an eye on those performances to, to boost its holding within the sport, road running. 
I'm glad you call me an experienced roadrunner, Alex, and not a good roadrunner, because I definitely am not a good one, but uh, <laughs> I try my best. But yeah, the, some of the quality of um, performances on the road have been incredible. I, I was in Antrim uh, only a few weeks ago for the half marathon there, and four people uh, got under the hour mark, which was you know an incredible run. And uh, I have to say, it was an out and back course, so I managed to see them running towards me as, as I was plodding towards the halfway mark. And these guys are incredibly quick. I think road running generally is a massive growth sport. We've seen there's a variety of different events for you know different abilities, but also different interests in terms of distance, in terms of trail, in terms of road, etc. So I'd love to see it get more televised coverage. I'd love to see it get more coverage generally. And I think the, the audience is there for it. It's become, you know, I think with the combination of park run as a as a uh, experience and an engagement through to the, the quality of the events in, in Riga, but also, you know, the events that seem to be going on all the way through the year. Um, it's really, really would be great to get more coverage, but I think we've got to make sure we, we sell the sizzle about it as well. It's been great, uh, actually, Gary, hasn't it, to see more athletics uh, on BBC One this year as well. I know coverage of the Great North Run, I think it was his 50th year this year, and also London Marathon. We need more terrestrial tv coverage of of uh, world-class athletics generally but just on the road race picture alex a number of uh, licensed road races multi-terrain events across england has uh, continued to grow slowly but surely back towards pandemic levels in the last 12 months over three and a half thousand licensed races one thing that we have noticed is choice is significant so supply is somewhat outweighing demand in cases where the number of entrants in events has been spread more thinly. So there's lots of events and possibly people are kind of being a bit more um, picky in terms of where they go. So that's something to watch. But certainly the off-track piece is um, is very important to our sport. In fact, I think the two fastest growing age segments of the England Athletics Registration Scheme are the over 50s and the over 60s. So there's something in there for everyone. Choices are plenty, as Gary's reference there. The Great North Run was was mentioned, of course, the final race for Samo Farah. Yeah, what do we do when we have a, a legend like that? How can we do our best to make sure that he's involved in, in inspiring the next generation in a similar way to, let's say, Katarina Johnson-Thompson, who is an ambassador for the Phonetics program, the entry-level yeah, young athlete activity program? I think uh, our talent pathway is the immediate place to start for me. Already we use a number of former athletes to come and talk to those youngsters coming through the youth and junior talent pathway programs as part of the kind of lifestyle support package that we put around that program for for individuals. The likes of Jack Green, for instance, you know, world class four hurdler who's obviously retired now and um, still putting his expertise, his experience back into sport and also outside of sport as well, particularly from a performance angle and and some of the challenges he faced from a kind of well-being perspective as well that he's very open about I think is pretty inspirational and of course Kelly Southerton who was our Commonwealth Games 2022 team leader within the camp if you like of England athletics for a long period of time in deploying that expertise is is very important so I think getting some of these former athletes back involved as mentors to work with coaches and work with young athletes coming through the pathway is very important and you know, Samoa's uh, lived experience, if you like, of how important the club and volunteer impact can be 
if you think of his experience, I think it was um, teacher Alan Watkinson, who was one of the individuals who first encouraged Samo to take part uh, in running. Tony Charette and Bob Smith, Newman Essex Beagles, who then inspired him to take his club journey onwards. And, you know, the rest is history, if you like. So I think that in itself as a kind of pathway is inspirational for, for other young athletes and uh, reiterates the importance of clubs and volunteers. One of the great things about our sport is the the number of experienced and, and, and well-known athletes who come back and help in, whether it's coaching or supporting volunteers, etc. So when I was uh, at Antrim, I found myself lining up next to the two-hour pacer, uh, who was a friend of Joe Pavey, and she was Joe Pavey was running in that event. And we had a conversation about the, the work that she did in the Southwest, rewarding and recognising volunteers. So I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to over the next couple of months is the volunteer awards and recognising the sheer breadth and quality of people right the way across the country who keep this sport running. Thanks, Chris. And thank you, Gary, as well. Good to speak to you and uh, speak soon. Cheers, Alex. Take care. See you, Gary. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Hi, my name is Abigail Irosaru and you're listening to the England Athletics Podcast. Thanks to Gary and Chris for that discussion Chris has been busy this month also visiting Vale of York Athletics Club where you're about to hear a really interesting story about one of the newer clubs in the sport. So I'm here at the Vale of York Athletic Community here at the Selby High School with chair and founder Ian Martin and uh, there's a session here in the sports hall led by Heidi Bradley, club support manager for England Athletics a group of young aspiring athletes being put through their paces in high jump. Ian, tell us what's happened today at the club. It's been quite an action-packed day for you. It has been an action-packed day um, for me personally as well. Uh, we started off, Heidi came uh, to the University of York track and, and she provided some expert coaching in the high jump to myself and, and Beverly, who's an assistant coach here. Um, we're both master's athletes as well, so she did some uh, one-to-one coaching with us. And then she's come over to the high school where we're based at Selby and she's now doing that same coaching to a group of our uh, athletes who are kind of 12 to 16 age. Before that, we had um, the very youngsters. So we, we've got athletes at four years old here. So we had a, a session, first of all, at five o'clock for the four to nine-year-olds. And then after that, at six, we had... Um, our under 11 athletes and we've been doing run jump and throw we generally try and do a mixture of of run jump and throw uh, fundamentals across uh, the evening and in terms of the history of the club you've had quite uh, a fast track in terms of progress since you launched three years ago give us a bit of a background potted history to the club to date yeah, I mean, at some point it's been too fast. Uh, it's been hard to hang, hang on myself. But yeah, we, we, we started after lockdown, really, once we came out of uh, COVID restrictions and we could actually start doing something as, hesitate to use the word athletes, but it was more a case of just getting people from the community active again. And we had some uh, adults, runners, who wanted to run in a kind of safe and socially distanced manner. 
And we had children who'd, who'd not been in school um, for, for months and, and were missing physical activity. So we wanted to do something for those kids and for those adults in the community. And we, we set up an informal group. Um, there was a group of us who were qualified coaches and who were able to set up things safely and uh, run some sessions for, for people's mental as well as physical well-being. It was very important for us to, to work on, on people in terms of their mental health. People enjoyed it and we, we suddenly had this mad idea that maybe we could create a proper club out of this, you know, and maybe we could take this to the point where we could have some sort of facility where people could train safely all year round, you know. Uh, training safely was a big thing. Uh, it is for kids, you know. We, we could be a rotaring club and we, we could cater for adults, but we wouldn't be able to cater for kids. So athletics and, uh, and run, jump and throw and, and for, for all ages was very important for us as an inclusive community. And in terms of the facility that you've referenced now, you've got over 120 members, no sign of that slowing down, more interest within the community, good relationships with nearby clubs in Doncaster and York as well, so you've got access to the track and field facilities there. But you're looking to develop something yourselves here in Selby. Give us a pricey of what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, we've got track mark facilities in York, in Doncaster. We can go to competitions there. That's all good, but what we can't do is we can't have training sessions at track and field facilities. There's no spare slots, they're too far away. What we need is something local. That doesn't need to be a 400 meter traditional track. What it really needs to be is something compact, a mini track, 200 meters, 110 meters, sprint straight, you know, some provision for, for jumps, long jump, high jump, pole vault even. We, we've started getting interested in pole vault. You know, we're, we're, we're interested in developing people across all disciplines. So we want those things. Shot put circle. We might be restricted on long throws, but what we want is something we can actually bring athletics, traditional athletics, to the community, the heart of community here in Selby. And we have happened upon a field which is owned by uh, one of our, our members and trustee and, and we're going to develop that field into a, a, this 200 metre facility with the sprint straights, with the, with the throw and, and jumps provision as well. Plans are drawn up, they're being submitted. Um, we're, we're in a position now when we've only been going two and a half, three years where we've gone from nothing to, hang on, we might some, suddenly be realising our own facility in the heart of the, heart of the community. Hugely exciting. It'll be a matter of time, I'm sure, before you're developing athletes that are representing the club you know, in national finals or maybe England Athletics Championships in the future, or who, who knows who will be your first Olympian or Paralympian at the club. That, that's pretty exciting to behold over the next 10, 20 years. Yeah, and you have to have the facilities to do it. You know, what we want is a friction-free way for kids in this community to access athletics facilities. And that means they're local, they can walk down, you know, they, can, they, they have them on their doorstep and we can provide everything they need here for them. You know, what was it Arthur Lydia had said? You know, champions everywhere. And, and there will be champions amongst the community here. What we need to do is give them an environment where they can grow. And this is the environment we're hoping to provide. And you're also providing, of course, not just sporting activity, but, you know, a safe place for people to come and learn new skills, meet new friends, look after their physical and mental health, and really providing a service to the community. So, you know, the facility you're looking to pull together, you'd hope that there are some individuals or organisations out there in the Selby and District area and wider Yorkshire who 
we'll get behind you once you get that planning permission. Yeah, definitely. Once we've got the planning permission, it's going to be a big push for funding, you know, and that can be on a micro level in terms of crowdfunding, people donating small amounts just to help us on our way. But also we need to tap into the big sources of funding. You know, we're going to need from from a quarter of a million upwards in order to make this this a reality so we're going to have to go after some big funding so anybody out there who can help in a small way or a big way you know we'd love to hear from you and final question you've got involved with the yorkshire and humber regional council for england athletics over the last year or so what's that been like it's been a learning curve Um, it's certainly been uh, me thrown in at the deep end i volunteered as uh, a regional councillor initially and managed to land up with the regional (laughs) council chair role so it's been a real big uh, big learning curve for me but i've had a very supportive team on the regional council heidi bradley the club support manager has been very supportive as well um just on a on a council call tonight with with other regional councillors and everybody's been very supportive so like everything in life, like athletics, like, like the council work, like the community work that we do, you know, nothing's ever straightforward, but what you've got to see it as a challenge, something we want to get stuck into so we can make a difference to, to people in the community and people in, in the sport of athletics. Well, thanks, Ian, for everything you're doing in the Selby and District area and, of course, in Yorkshire and, of course, contributing towards national debates on important issues such as... Uh, you know, developing the sport, getting more people in nationally, keeping them there, developing talent and how we afford the sport as well. And thanks very much for everything you're doing and good luck with the club's future. Great to hear of Ian's determination to grow his club. That's it for this episode of the England Athletics podcast. You can subscribe, including on Spotify, SoundCloud and other places where the podcast sits to be notified of new episodes when they're published. For now, thanks for listening and goodbye.